So I'm I'm delighted to be joined by uh, George Sefton, uh, an icon, if you don't mind me saying that, George, of of Liverpool Football Club. Um, it's uh, it's absolutely it's absolutely fantastic to be speaking to you because you know, of course, I. Like so many fans uh, across the world, I, I watch a lot of football, but you are the only man whose voice you can hear over the commentator <laughs> yeah. every time. It's really yeah. great. I've been, been shouted at for that as well. <laughs> well, no, you, you don't Most change. When I get home, my wife says you're a noisy devil. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I'm going to jump straight into my questions i've got a list of questions okay. here and we're gonna we're gonna go uh, right back to uh, the first match you went to as a kid and i've done a little bit of my homework because i've watched a couple of your interviews before it was yeah. january 1960 wasn't it your first oh. match what do yeah. you remember about that day i remember um a few things I've, the first thing i remember is having to queue up for tickets uh, a couple of friends of of mine went uh, with me in, uh, we clubbed together and got a taxi up to Anfield so he gets a, a good position in the queue. Um, after we got split up during the, the night, we queued for hours all the way around Stanley Park, uh, then through the old, big old car park and eventually got to the ticket office and got tickets. Um, I remember uh, one thing, uh, I got, accidentally kicked by a policeman on a horse. Do you know the way their feet go like that when they're riding? Yes. I, I just moved at the same time and this police horse was going past and I got kicked in the ribs. And by the time I got home, um, the parents said I looked like I'd been uh, dragged through a hedge. I said, well, I feel like I have. Oh, but dear. then getting to the match itself, and that was the first time I'd been inside Anfield. Uh, for some reason, I've never here found out, I never will find out. My dad never took me to Anfield when I was a kid. Um, I think he thought football was his department and school was my department and the house was my mother's department. He's <laughs> just old-fashioned like that. Um, but I can remember getting in and just taking, all, taking it all in. And they, they they do say you know the smell of the hot dogs and uh, that sort you know the that sort of thing. It was just amazing to be inside the place. And even now, I say to people, you have to be inside Anfield to appreciate it. You know, somebody from the the BBC was interviewing me in the back garden here a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me, "Can you describe what it's like inside Anfield?" match day and I said no I can't you can't put it into words you've got to get in there and just experience it and then you want once you've, you've been in you're more than likely hooked for life it, it's it really is impossible to put into words but that match obviously we, we got a good hiding off Manchester United we were in the old second division uh, they were the big boys of English football that was what two years after the Munich uh, disaster, but they they were still the Busby Babes, the great United team that you know, everybody looked up to. You know, I think that was probably in the days before the great rivalry as well. I was just pleased to be there and see the likes of Bobby Charlton in the flesh and um, 
and obviously Liverpool have, I would like them to to have won, but I don't think anybody expected them to. It would have been um, a classic, you know, giant killing, which sounds strange now, but it, the way things were at the time is that's the way it was. And it was what two years later before Liverpool actually won the, the league and got up into the top division, and the rest, as they said, is is history. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. I mean, it must have been, I mean, it's, it's, it's some ride. I mean, it, to be a Liverpool fan, but to, to anyway, you know, but uh, for, if you join, uh, you know, the, the club as, a, as a, if you start supporting the club at any age, but to, to have actually seen the rise from the old yeah. second division must be absolutely well, fantastic. I always say I've been really lucky in certain aspects of my life. I was born after the war, so I missed all that. Um, I was the right age uh, not to have to do national service. I stopped just before I was old enough. I wasn't looking forward to that. People forget about national service. That, you know, two years in the army would have been pure hell for me. Um, and then, obviously, I, I started going to Liverpool when literally a month after Shankly turned up. So I saw all the good times I've been through, so many managers. And somebody pointed out the other day that there are 19 titles. I've actually seen uh, 14 of them. And one was in my lifetime in 1947. Obviously, I remember absolutely nothing about that, but uh, it was still in my lifetime. And I've seen you know, Liverpool uh, conquering Europe. If, if you told me that when I was 13, 14, I would have said you were crackers. But here we are, we're champions of the world. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, it's just crazy. And, and your hero was Ian St. John, is that right? I mean, you know, for, I mean obviously we, we, we all know the name, you know, Ian yeah. St. John. We've seen the odd, you know, famous clip, like scoring in the cup final in 65 and stuff like that. But can you explain to people, you know, a bit more exactly, what, what did you love about Ian St. John and his game, please? Bill Shankly said about Saints, He's not just a centre forward, he's the centre forward. And he was the, the classic target man. He's not very big, he, you know, he's not uh, as tall as you'd expect, but by God, he put his head where uh, boots were fly left, right, and centre. Um, you know, he was a real little powerhouse. And um, for one reason or another, the last few years, I've got to know the guy. Um, you know, he's, he's 80 odd now, but um, still going strong. We thought we'd, we were going to lose him a few years ago because he was really, really ill. But he's uh, gritting his teeth and getting, getting on with it. He's a strong bloke. But he's, it's just, he's probably in the same way Robbie Fowler was. He, he knew where the goal was. That, was. that was it. And Shanks played on that. He used to have these. Um, these training boards at Melwood, and uh, they, I think there were a, sort of four boards in a square with numbers, and, and uh, Saints and a few other people in, in, in turn would stand in the middle of these four squares, and Bill Shankly would shout numbers at them, and they were uh, peppering balls at the, the numbers on these boards. It must have sharpened them up no end, but it, well, it did, it seemed the result when you, you watch Ian St. John play. 
And that goal, of course, in the cup final was the one that everybody remembers, and I do as well. I mean, um, I got the chance to tell the story in front of St John about five years ago, have one of these tribute evenings. And um, I was telling the same then in front of all these people. In 1965, my poor old dad was crippled. He had terrible arthritis. He couldn't get out of his chair, basically. But we sat and watched the cup final together in 1965. And when Saints scored, he turned to me and said, this is the greatest day of my life. He'd been, he'd been waiting. He'd been waiting since... Uh, I don't know, the 1920s to see Liverpool win the FA Cup and um, they'd done it at long back because in, in those days the FA Cup was was a thorn in Liverpool's side you know, they, they'd never won it and they, they'd won the league a few times and um, it, uh, they all, all they wanted to do was win the FA Cup and uh, they did it at long last and I said to, to Ian St John that uh, he'd make you know, my poor old dad say that the greatest day of my life. And then uh, in 2011, um, I was at the supporters club dinner in Liverpool for the awards night. And Ian St John got up to present uh, the Tom Saunders Award. And he starts rambling on about this year's recipient. He's uh, not well known. In, in public, but he's been working here for 40 years and he's going, and I said to my wife, he's talking about me. And my wife said, of course he is, you silly old fool. And, they, and then he presents me with this trophy. So I said to him, St. John, that you made you know, the greatest day of my dad's life and the greatest day of my life. So you know, what else can I say but thank you, just thank you. That's fantastic. I say is, if you again, if you told me in 1965 that uh, one day I'd be socialising with the saint and you know, having a drink with him, and sitting at the table next to him at the dinner, uh, I would have said you were crackers. But you know, nothing surprises me in this life anymore. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. That's a great. That's a great story. Um, and speaking of your wife, uh, because, you know, it's quite a famous story about how you became a, uh, an announcer. You went to Anfield and the announcer was rubbish. And then your wife, you, you complained to your wife about how rubbish he was. And your wife said, well, you couldn't do any better. Yeah, so, right. you, so you wrote a long letter to Peter Robinson, right? And uh, then he invited you into his office and the rest is history. But what I want to know, I'm very interested in this story because I want to know what it's like to sort of be a fan, right? Go to the match and then, yeah. you know, a few days later, you're sitting in front of the chairman. I mean, did you go to that meeting with any pre-planned things to say? Or I, I was, no, I was so amazed that I actually got a reply. I just thought the letter would go straight in the bin, but you know, what have I got to lose? The price of a stamp, and that's, that's all it was. Um, but I, I found out later that they just decided to give this guy the elbow and were wondering what to do next before the new season kicked in. And um, my letter landed on his desk. Um, and uh, obviously, he must have 
thought, well, this guy can speak English. He sounds quite articulate. Write a good letter. Um, let's get him in to see if he's got two heads and whatever. And um, if he's any half, anyway half decent, we'll give him a go and it'll save us the hassle of advertising or you know, chasing people and headhunting and whatever. And, uh, and that's what happened. And, uh, he decided to give me a trial. Uh, technically speaking, I'm still on trial, incidentally. I haven't, I've got, I've ever, nobody's ever sat down and said, oh, okay, George, the, the job's yours for life. And, uh, <laughs> really? Okay. It's still uh, get to every close season and think, well, here we go again, hopefully. But uh, that will, that will, I'm allowed to an end one day. That's, I mean, that's, uh, that's really funny. I mean, it's almost, it's almost 50 years now. I mean, have you got uh, any plans? Next season's going to be your 50th year, is the announcer? Um, yeah. Well, the first, I've, this year has been the craziest year ever. You know, the craziest year in the history of the world, never mind my life. But I, I've been working on targets. My first target, obviously, was to get through it not catch the virus, uh, touch wood, we quickly, I'm still here. My wife has done a really good job of looking after me. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm over 70, I'm overweight, I'm diabetic, and I'm a white male, so that gives me four you know, extra percentages for catching the thing and suffering, but I'm still here, thanks to her. So that was the first target. The next target was to get back to Anfield, uh, and obviously the restart came, <clears throat> and um, that's, that's chugging along. Uh, we're going to get the trophy next Wednesday. Uh, so that'll be nice. To, obviously, sometime will be a parade, but that will happen whenever. But the next target after that is to get into season 50. Uh, September the 12th is uh, the last time I hear the date quoted, so that would be good. And then we just got to see what happens. Uh, I'm reading this morning that there's some German technology being imported so we can actually have people in the ground again um, on a limited basis to start with. But I think, you know, that I've, I've heard a few people say positive things about that, so I'm hoping we'll have human beings in the ground again. It's uh, it's a very surreal place at the moment, it's, it's unreal. Um, so that's the next target. And as the season goes on, I'll see how I feel. Um, my thoughts at the moment are that 50 is plenty. There's no point in aiming for anything else uh, because, you know, um, when something else happens that's worth waiting for, I'll be I'll be in the uh, the corner of you know, a care home somewhere, looking looking at the wall. But um, I think sometimes that I'd like to hang on until they expand the Anfield Road end. Uh, it'd be nice to have a crowd of sixty-two thousand people to talk to, but uh, that you know that could take a while now. It's already scheduled for. 2022, 23, and uh, it, I just wouldn't be surprised if that got put back because of what's happened this year, but I don't know. But uh, I'll see how I feel this time next year, and then I'll, I'll make some decisions. I'm not going to go out 
in the blaze of glory. I hope, unless somebody upsets me, I hope you there. I have an alternate playlist, which I should put on one day. <laughs> if uh, if anybody does upset me, which will probably get the place closed down, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to come to that. I'd just like to uh, trade gently away at the end of season fifty and put my feet up for a few years. That'd be nice. Wow. Okay. But uh, you know, I mean, hopefully they'll, um, you know, the club will do something nice. I mean, I'm sure they might I be planning know. something. It'd be nice, but I'll. Uh, I'm not counting the chickens. I've, I've given up counting chickens now after what's happened this year. Yes, I mean, wow, yeah. Who, who knows what's around the corner? Absolutely. Uh, um, speaking of music, though, um, and, uh, you know, I, I watched it. I mean, it's really good, the interview you did with, uh, with Blood Red Channel. It's on YouTube yeah. for, for the listeners if they want to check that out. And uh, you were talking about how... Um, how you know, you feel, and, and, and I agree, that you, you're in a unique p- position to actually influence matches in terms of if you can get the crowd riled up, you know, it, it can influence the, the entire game. Um, you know, are there any particular matches that you remember that you think that maybe you played a, a little part in affecting the result? Well, yeah, the, uh, the 2005 Champions League semi-final against Chelsea, um, that was one of those nights that everything, you know, went our way. Uh, really, you can see. Um, what I used to do, in fact, I still do, uh, if I can, is is just pick and choose. What you, I don't know, tub thumping records. You know, tunes a bit louder, heavy rock, maybe. Uh, ACDC is very popular at the moment with with. Uh, the Anfield crowd, as you know, and the and then the, the trick then is to turn the volume up gently as time goes on. Uh, the, what I always used to say is that when I turn the volume up, if the crowd are singing, they have to sing louder to drown out the time, and that's that's the way it works. Certainly for Chelsea game, and then uh, again, if you if you watch, there's a YouTube video. Uh, if you look for the Best ever rendition of You Never Walk Alone. There are two or three different versions, but there's one at the end of the Chelsea game when I banged on You Never Walk Alone and the crowd all just went with it. And this was just after the six minutes added time. Um, that was crazy. And to this day, I haven't a clue why the referee went for six minutes added time, but we did. And if you, if you watch this video, you can hear me announcing the six minutes you could see Rafa looking at his coaching staff and say what did he say did George just say six minutes and then a few yards further down there's the, the blessed Jose Mourinho who's egging his team on get up there get up there um, all guns blazing and people say that um Chelsea threw everything but the kitchen sink at us that night. And I say, no, I did actually see a kitchen sink flying <laughs> through the air at one stage. And those six minutes were horrendous. But at the end, the relief, the relief that we threw on the, the one goal, you know, which uh, to this day I'm not entirely convinced it crossed the line, but I don't care. Um, and we, we were through, and then I put on You Never Walk Alone and the whole place erupted. At the end of You Never Walk Alone, I'd lost it. I was very nearly hysterical. I'm giving a, 
uh, a speech about this was the best atmosphere in this place. I've been coming here for 40 odd years and this is the best atmosphere I've ever heard. Thank you, thank you so much, every one of you. And then I calmed down and went home eventually. But that was, I'm surely sure I wound them up to the skies that night. And then the Barcelona game, the same thing. We went through the same process. And the whole night was just surreal, completely and utterly weird the way it went. Um, yeah, we turned up with 3-0 down to the best team in the world. Two of our star players are crocked. We've got no chance, absolutely no chance of turning. Nobody's ever turned over a lead like that. I don't think in a, in a Champions League semi-final, never mind against Barcelona. And then we scored one, and then we scored couple of quick ones after half time and then that wonderful corner and by that time the place was, was insane you know but again i've been through the same process that night and at the end uh you must have seen the the, the video clips of i banged you know what going on at the end i very very rarely put it on the end of the game and that was a night and just where did that squad the entire squad line up in front of the cop and sing along and then after that uh i run out of music and then i just looked down i got john lennon's greatest hit cd lying on my desk there just in a little little stack of uh, cds on standby just in case the usb ports let me down and i banged on imagine and the whole crowd, nobody was going home, they were all singing along. And people, I still get emails now about that night. Um, I know my, my favourite was from, um, was a guy in, in Australia, he said he was in Sydney Casino, early hours of the morning. And he said he was surrounded by all these big, hairy, rugged Australian sheep farmers, and they were all in tears at the end of the match. Um, of course, the following morning, apparently Piers Morgan called me a genius on breakfast TV. Well, <laughs> I said, I'll have that. I don't like the fellow. Nobody does, but I'll, I'll take that, thank you. <laughs> you might not like him, but he can spot a genius. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, no, that's brilliant. Um, uh, do you ever get tempted, by the way, you know, like, you know, you've got to be professional, you know, you have to say, you know, the goal in the, um, sorry, I can't remember what minute it was, the 78th minute or something for Divock yeah. Origi from the corner, you know, Divock, uh, you know, scored by, you know, Divock Origi. Um, do you ever just get tempted just to go, yes, <laughs> Dan? Once in a while, uh, actually, there's some video footage that, I think it was the BBC did a couple of years ago, and I've, you know, I've got my arms waving in the air. I did, um, I did that night, but only after I actually it might have been before I announced the goal, because you have to let first of all you have to make sure that the VAR isn't going to run it, rule it out, and then you have to let the crowd quiet down a bit before you announce the goal score and set them off again. Um, so that was that was the way. I mean, um, <laughs> the funniest thing was when we actually won the league a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, sat here watching the game uh, on BT Sport, 
via Skype. And I was actually taking part in the BT sport program. And I didn't have much to do. We had a little chat before the game. And then, of course, at half time, uh, when they show him the playbacks, I've forgotten the, my webcam. This webcam you're talking to me on was straight through to BT Sport. And they, you know, when the, the goals were going in, and at the end when we won it, I was out of this seat, you know, waving my arms around like a lunatic. It was just, again, just. <laughs> Such a sense of relief. It was like a, you know, when you've got a boil on your neck and it suddenly burst. But just the, the, you know, the relief, the, the, the tension going and, and everything was, was just unbelievable. But as I say, um, I've still got video of that. And one of my son's uh, profile pictures on Facebook now is is me sitting here like that. <laughs> you know, like, Looking like I um, just won the, the lotto or something. It's Fantastic. Excellent with your arms in the air. Yeah, exactly. Celebrating. It's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Um, it, 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 you know, and, and the manner of it as well. I mean, obviously, we, we've, we've, we've got a long, we've had a long time to think about it with the lockdown and, um, you know, about the idea of being champions and, you know, the inevitability of it and the fact that it's almost like a slow burning yeah. flame of, of joy, isn't it? The fact that it's. Well, it's you know, it was double because because when lockdown started, you're hearing all these stories about the league avoiding uh, this season, and I thought they can't they can't take this league off us now, surely. And I think, well, football committees, I've had lots of run-ins with them over the years, from UEFA down to local junior leagues. Football committees, the men in suits, they can do anything. You know, they really count the, the least expected things. And um, the weird stuff was that I did one or two of the interviews I did early on this year. Uh, I was saying to people, I'm, I'm not counting the chickens here because I just had this awful feeling hanging over me, this sense of foreboding that something is going to go wrong. I don't know what it is. Um, at the start of this year, the BBC and one or two other people suddenly realised I'm the only guy who's working at Liverpool now, who's working there in 1990, last time we won the league. So all of a sudden I'm a person of interest. And two or three people interviewed me and said, you must be so happy Liverpool are going to win the league. I said, well, I'm, I'm not yet. Because I just have this sort of cloud hanging over me and I don't know what it is. Well, I just have this awful feeling something's going to go wrong. I, I kept making the joke about um, the Premier League are going to find out that Virgil's paperwork was out of, out of date or something. <laughs> he took 50 points off us and something stupid like that. Because then COVID-19 hits and wallop, that was the uh, the cloud. I should have had, I should have put a fiver on that yeah, while I was in, in the mood because I knew something was going to happen Nobody, but nobody could have predicted that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I might go and put a fiver on an asteroid hitting before next yeah. Wednesday when we actually lift the thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> It's uh, yeah, but it's uh, but it's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? And um, forgive me, the next question is a little bit a little bit of an obvious one, maybe. But um, yeah. you know, how does this team compare to any other? 
I think this is probably the best Liverpool team in my lifetime. Um, but obviously, times are different. It's, it's, it's impossible to compare like with like because, you know, there's so many different things happening over the years. I mean, you go back to the, the 80s team. I'm, I'm very friendly with Phil Neal. His son actually lives around the corner from me here. I've known, I've known Phil since his son was a lad because they, my lad and him used to play football. Uh, t together a lot and uh, I used to send when I was con um, connected to the local junior leagues I used to send some good players up to Phil when he was managing Bolton but I, I heard him uh, doing after dinners an awful lot and one story he always tells it rings true he said he goes on about the nutritionists they've got the fitness coaches and all the rest of it. And he, uh, he rattled off a typical match day at Anfield in his time. He said, at the end of the game, there would be no TV interviews. They'd run straight in, shower, and hit the bar and be down in Lago like there was no tomorrow. And then he rattles off a list of his medals. It was his four European Cups, five, five league wins, a couple of FA Cups. Goodness knows down the England caps and whatever. And he, he looks very thoughtful. He says, Imagine how many medals I would have won if I kept myself fit. And that <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know about the difference between 80s football and football in uh, this century. Because it, it's there's so many. If puts and maybes now. I mean, even last week when, when poor Jackie Charlton died, there was a picture of him in training. He's standing in the middle of the pitch and he's smoking a cigarette. It's it. You just couldn't imagine that. Now, I don't. You know, I, I think if uh, if a player smoked at all, I don't think they'd, they'd uh, last five minutes on a Premier League team nowadays. But it's just the attitudes have changed. So. But as I say, this time, this team, they're faster, they're certainly faster than any of the teams I've seen. I reckon if you put them, this team, in a real um, a sprint relay against the team of the 80s or any of the previous teams, this team would win hands down. Their, their fitness is such at such a high level, uh, which obviously gives them the advantage. But um, at the moment, you've got you know, really cracking team. And the, the, the thing about this team is it's a proper team. The, you know, they all play for each other. There's no big egos. There's no backbiting. Anybody upsetting the apple cart just gets shown the door. And they, they all play for each other. And I think not, they've not been a team like that since the mid-80s because um, they were all pals together. I mean, even now, uh, you, you see the, the guys from the, the 80s, Phil Neal, Jan Mulvey, uh, I spoke to just before the, the Burnley game, I haven't seen him for weeks. Um, John Aldrich, Ian Rush, um, Ronnie Whelan, and of course Kenny, and they all, they all still live here. You know, none of that, those people are, 
mentioned, apart from Aldo, of course, are scousers. They've all moved here to be with the club, but they've all stayed. They regard Liverpool as home, and when they use the word we, they mean Liverpool, the team. And it's like a big, you know, big friendly gang. They're lovely to be with, but that, they have the same outlook and the same attitude as this club. So it's a joy to watch. Yeah, there's a, there's a, that's absolutely one thing that uh, that is evident, isn't it? You look at other teams, um, such as our, our opponents last night, Arsenal. They look very fractured usually. Yeah. But um, uh, you know, what do you make of our form since since the lockdown? Obviously, last night was a very disappointing result. Yeah, I mean, last night it was. Well, they've all been individual games. The Everton game, the Derby match, first match back, nil nil. I've been saying to people, did you expect anything else? We're playing away to Everton. They've got your classic uh, Italian coach, Carlo Ancelotti. He's had three months to think about it. <clears throat> He's going to stop us playing. It's going to be nil-nil if we're looking. So that was all right. Palace, we have the full team back together again. What is probably the you know, his best side. Gave him a good hide in Palace are hard not to crack. Then, you know, the City game was such a disappointment. And, you know, again, you know, 4-0 to that lot and seeing the smile on the City players' faces really, really got to me. In fact, my wife and I were sat here watching the game on TV and when it got to three, we just turned the TV over to watch them go, which is very rare we do that. Last night, we were desperately unlucky. We, you know, we hit in a post, and, you know, a couple of chances that should have gone in, and they were, you know, giving Arsenal the run around for a while. But then, what Virgil was thinking of, who knows what went through his brain for a minute. He just doesn't do that. And then Allison makes another bloomer, uh, which reminded me very much of what Wallace Callius did in the. Champions League final a couple of years ago, but you know he's not going to do that again. But you know, uh, uh, um, Jürgen said on the TV this morning, you can't win games in the Premier League. You could take a five-minute break in the middle, and that's what they did. They just switched off a couple of times, and the game was was won. So I'm disappointed we're not going to get the big points total we're after, but uh, I can't. Really can't criticise the team as a whole for the way they played last night because they, you know, they should have won. They, had been, you know, they had all the chances. You looked at the stats at the end; we murdered them. We lost two one, but that's that's football. That's why we all love football because you, you know, it's never a foregone conclusion. That's the excitement. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And uh, and there's always a, a, the next game, and the next game being Chelsea. Um, will you be there at Anfield? As, as I'll be there. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Obviously, <clears throat> I'm. When Bush comes to shove, I'm still a Liverpool fan, and I want to be there when they pick that trophy up. I'll be very privileged because uh, I think there are 300 people in the ground. Um, to be fair to the club and the Premier League, they've been running this behind closed doors business like uh, a really well-drilled military operation. 
you know, I turn up to Anfield, I've got my car parking space, I know what time I have to be there, which entrance to go in, the route, you know, underneath Kenny's, I'll reach down up in the lift on my own, along the back corridor and into my room. Um, I share a room with the VAR guy, so he and I uh, have desk, he's, he's in the room during the game, I'm in beforehand playing music, half-time playing music, and next Wednesday, uh, I presume between now and then, somebody will give me a running order, and we'll get our instructions for what's happening after the game, because I know they're building a big podium on the cop, which is nice, because my box overlooks the cop. Uh, there's fireworks and a light show and whatever, and I'm just hopeful that the um, the police will do what they've been doing so so far, and, and just cutting off the approaches to the stadium so that nobody can cover. I mean, um, people will want to be near the stadium, but they're not going to get very near. And um, Liverpool fans are not stupid. You know, obviously, the night we won the league, a lot of them turned up to one field. Uh, if I hadn't been sat here staring into a camera for PT Sport, I probably would have gone down there as well. Uh, I've no criticism whatsoever of the people who turned up that night. They're a bit naughty, but 30 years waiting for that. Goodness gracious, well, no, they're not going to hide away at home. All you read in the press, of course, is about the Friday night up their head. Um, I keep saying to people, have you seen the footage of that night? Look around. How, can, how many red shirts can you see? You can't see very many. It's a small handful. I swear blind that mob who were down at the pier head with very little to do with the Liverpool Football Club. They were just a gang of Friday night drunks who had an excuse. And of course, the national press. Uh, they'll lap that up, they, you know, look at these Liverpool football hooligans, they're nothing of the kind, they were hooligans from, you know, goodness knows where, but they, they were nothing to do with us, that's for sure. Yeah, sure, it's it's, it's very frustrating when to get to be tired with the with the same brush yeah, yeah. as, these, uh, as these morons, absolutely, because that's not the, the Liverpool I've fan, as you say. morons, incidentally. Absolutely, and uh, so one final question. Then um, you've, you're you're working on a book, is that right? Tell us about the book, um, please. It's um, obviously to coincide with my fiftieth season, um, but the uh, manuscript is with the publishers. I'm tidying up this year. The last line of the book will be uh, the start of the fiftieth season, which is in September, hopefully. Um, the plan is it will be out in hardback at the end of next season and then in paperback for Christmas 21 uh, and I'm really looking forward to that I'm very proud to say that uh, Sir Kenny has written the forward for me uh, I mean I've read, I keep reading it and I'm thinking that's just two fantastical words and Elvis Costello has written some sleeve notes for the cover uh, just to round things off. Uh, obviously, it's it's a twin tale of football and music because you know my time at Anfield uh, again, luckily, has coincided with 
the advent of music at football grounds. In 1962, when we went up to the top division, um, the the Football League, as far as I'm aware, told Liverpool they had to have a proper uh, tannoy system, as it was then. And they installed one, of course, just round the corner. The Beatles were starting to hit the big time. Um, so, you know, the, the early, the mid-60s at Liverpool, in the city and the club were, were fantastic. They were you know, the centre of the universe. And, you know, then just to round things off, England won the World Cup in 66. So from, you know, from 62 onwards, playing music before matches, you know, got to be the thing. And I'm, I'm just still arriving on the, the shirt tails of the guy who started all that, all those years ago. And um, people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't expect to turn up now at Liverpool and not hear music before the game. Um, you know, not to mention just local music. So um, I'm really pleased with the outcome. I'm just making some uh, tweaks to it now. And as I say, I'll, I'll keep on writing bits about this year. Um, the, the original manuscript went up to the end of 2019, but obviously so much has happened this year that it warrants a book on its own. But uh, I'm trying to squeeze it all in tales of what happened here in my family, uh, what happened at Liverpool, worry about it the season boy did, and then of course you know, the climax, we won the league and uh, working all, our blood pressure is, all, is sinking all around Liverpool now, it's lovely. <laughs> absolutely, well you're an absolutely um, brilliant storyteller George, so it's absolutely lovely to hear your stories and I'm, I'm sure that well, I'm going to get a copy. I'm sure that lots of our listeners will as well. So uh, thank you very, very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, good luck with everything. Enjoy Anfield, you know. Um, I don't know, sing a song on your own from your, from your special gantry that you've got there, you know, on behalf of all of us fans who would love to be in there with you. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for all the, all the brilliant, brilliant work yes. you've done over the years as well. 